Hello and welcome to Story Radio, the podcast for readers, writers and lovers of literature everywhere. This month we have Ava Glass who writes thrillers um, for teens and adults which have sold more than two and a half million copies worldwide. Her thriller The Chase introduces intelligence officer Emma Makepeace in which she tries to get Michael Primaloff to safety in a high-tension chase through London pursued by Russian agents. Welcome to Story Radio. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Could you um, give us a little background on how you came to write this book, please? Well, it's funny. Um, about eight years ago, nine years ago, I was working for the government. I worked for the Home Office. Um, and my specialty was counterterrorism communications. So basically, I had been a crime reporter and then an editor. And then I just sort of stumbled into that job. I needed a mm. job after the last editing job I had that ended... I was kind of trying to decide what to do with the rest of my life, feeling a bit like I need to do something different. And a friend who I'd worked with briefly got in touch and said, I'm looking for somebody to write about terrorism and not get scared. And I thought of you. And um, with an introduction like that, I felt like I had to at least go to the interview. And anyway, once I got in and saw the size and scale of the operation and what it really meant to be inside that world... Um, I had to say yes. Um, it was just too enticing because I'd never worked for any government. I'd never done anything like that. And it just seemed like it was clear I was going to be working with spies. I was going to actually get to meet them and talk to them. And so um, I took that job. And because of that, I did get to meet people who worked in that world. Um, and when it ended, after five years, I I felt like, I mean, I went on and did other things. But that experience stayed with me and I spent a long time thinking about like looking for a book looking for a I I knew I wanted to write about spies and I even knew which spy I wanted to base it on but the hook for the story an actual spy story those are really really tricky to come up with it's Mm. not just like I'm going to like a crime novel you can think of a crime and and you're off in a way like once you've got your crime it's it's spies it's it's a web so you can't you don't just think of a of an incident you then think you have to think of the web and it took me a long time to um, come up with an idea. And then when I did, suddenly... It Were just... you writing other fiction at this point? I did, yes. I've written... I wrote books under another name. So I wrote some young adult novels under a, a different name. And um, I wrote... Um, my background was in America. I grew up there. Um, mm. Although I've lived in Britain for decades. But I did write... I had tried my hand in an American crime series, which was okay. It did okay. But it didn't, it didn't do well over here, where I live. And so I stopped that. So this was what I wanted to do, kind of, like, it's, it, it felt like the right next step. Like, as soon as I could see the story in my head, I felt like I had to write it. Like, it was so urgent. And the book is such an urgent book. Like, everything is so fast-paced in it. Everything happens very quickly. And um, I don't know, it just felt like the book for the time. Suddenly, that's just all I wanted to write. Had you always felt drawn to the spy genre? No, not at all. I think I wasn't drawn to it until I worked with them. Yeah. Until then, I don't think, and this is, don't hate me for saying this, but I don't think spy novels are written for women. I think most, particularly of the canon of 20th century spy fiction, is extremely masculine. And women don't come off well in it. So it's a hard read for women, Hmm. modern women in particular, I think. Um, I'd always found it a bit tough going. There's not a big library of spy books, modern contemporary spy books written by women it's a it's a tiny little genre so it didn't feel welcoming I suppose it's fair to say yeah but then a couple of things happened so one I actually met spies and then two television 
there was some excellent series about female spies. And for me, it was like, well, okay, so Tehran is an Israeli um, spy series on Apple about um, an Israeli spy undercover inside Iran who can't get out like she's trapped. And it's a very breathless, fast-paced, powerful series that doesn't in any way pander to her gender. Like it is about, she's just a spy. She has to do the job or she won't survive. And that I thought was really interesting. It took gender out of it completely. It's just about a spy. And then there was a French series called The Bureau, which again, there are female and male spies doing the same job in a really interesting way. It handled them evenly. And I thought, ah, this is interesting now. Now this is more like what I think is really happening out there. And so those seemed, it was almost like they opened the door to spy yeah. writing. I felt like, I want to be part of that. I want to, I want to write something exciting like that. And did you find that in your work that it was becoming more mixed in terms of female spies? You mean in actual life? Yeah. Home office? Oh, it's always has been. That's the thing. Is it? Right. Fiction has never reflected real life. There have always been female spies. Mm. And they're extremely valuable because people never expect them. So one mm. of the benefits of, of that, of being a woman, is like you can slip in and out of places. People take you for granted and they underestimate you. And therefore, that's an incredible benefit. It's a huge boon to a spy. So, yeah, there's going back to the very beginning, certainly not World War I as much. But by the time of World War II, um, female spies were, there weren't quite as many, but darn near as many female spies as male spies working during the war. And since then, definitely. They are everywhere, and it's a it's it's lovely to um to see that represented and to be part of of, of exploring that of letting people know this is happening. You just don't know; nobody tells you. Hmm. What's what books did you find which you kind of used as models mm. for how the how they should be written? Uh, I suppose in terms of like it seems to me there's a couple of schools of spy writing, um, and I think it's still true now as it was in the 20th century so there's the Graham Greene extremely literary hmm. tough to get through books um, there's the John the Carré which is sort of cerebral slightly slow paced extremely tangly really enjoyable and then there's the Ian Flemings so the fast paced thrillers um, Jason Bourne that kind of thing those are in that category so I decided to go to that category um, because I wanted to write a page turner and I don't think you could describe either Graham Greene or John the Carré as page turners. They're great, mm. but they're not page turners. So I think I was most influenced. I read the first three of the Bond books and I, I didn't continue because I felt like Fleming sort of himself lost interest in it after a while. He was just like, oh, here's mm. another book. You could almost feel that he was just like, why am I still doing this? But the first one in particular, Casino Royale, that's the one that I really, I really liked. I could see, I could see his style. And I wanted to do something like that because mm. he was still at the beginning of it. He, he's, a, he's a heck of a writer. He had a real turn of phrase. And also he could write a thrilling incident in an extremely, like, in a way that just made you quite feel like you're there. And there's, mm. um, and also he had this ability, most of that book takes place in a casino over cards. People are just playing. Cards are just gambling. And that is not exciting to me. He makes it thrilling. Somehow he makes a hundred pages of gambling really exciting. And that, that's a skill. That's not, that doesn't just happen. He had a skill. And so I, I could learn from that and, and borrow some of that a bit. Yeah. I did feel you were kind of um, breaking out of uh, 
his kind of version of the genre. There's kind of quite a lot of reflection and yes. earlier life, which I, I liked and thought really gave her a kind of depth that um, I think we never really get in James Bond. Right? Yeah, not much anyway. Yeah, I think mm. there's just little hints at it, but he clearly decided to give him his background is quite elusive. Whereas mm. with Emma, I thought I really wanted people to care about her. I wanted people, my main character, Emma Makepeace, I wanted people to to think about, like to, to connect to her. Because when she does something wrong or when she does gets into trouble, I want us to care that she might not get out of it. And so I think for that to happen, you have to know a bit about the character. You have to connect with them. And so this, I didn't want too much of that because I wanted it pace. But also... As you know, you mentioned it has this like forward velocity to it. Mm. As a book, it's it's intended to have that rush. But there's something kind of exciting in a weird way of like ever so often just putting the brakes on and saying, here's this, she's in trouble. Now let me tell mm. you about how she is and when she's in trouble. And just having just a few pages of how she got to be able to get out of these situations, how she learned. Because mm. one isn't just born knowing how to pick a lock or, you know, a hot wire a boat you know you you um you, you learn that they teach you that and although there is a mm. bit in it where she's picking a lock and the person she's rescuing says basically did they teach you that and she said no you can there's videos on youtube and it's truth there are mm. i actually have a lock pick kit, kit and there are videos on youtube and um it's it's a fun pastime <laughs> i have done it i have a kit in my in my office and when i'm bored and or trying to think and i need to focus i will um i'll pick a lock <laughs> mm. were the were the kind of moments when you break the flow of the action were they always in there or did you was that kind of a later addition there were fewer of them at first I'd done mm. a few um and my editor liked them and so she said I think they need to be more regular so that's why I decided to put so I added a, about half again so mm. it was they were always there but they weren't as so as it is now I think they're every so the fact there's more of them at the beginning and fewer of them as the book goes on. Yeah. So we just added a bit more at the start. Yeah. And um, I think something that also that really helps with the pace is um, I think your writing is very clear. I've, I found reading a lot of thrillers recently, actually you've kind of got this fast action, but actually you, you're kind of, the reader, or me, I'm getting a bit lost and I have to kind of keep going back and that's kind of quite... Harder. I just wondered if you'd give us any insight into how you how you make it so clear. Mm. Is there a technique you have particularly? Or... Well, I think I have a, a journalistic approach to writing because my background was in journalism. That's where I learned mm. to write. So I started in nonfiction. And if you start in nonfiction, clarity is sort of everything. So I suppose I can't lose that. I've tried. I've tried to um, also because you're rewarded as an author if you have a lot of description and a lot of... Um, writing sort of frills if that's what I call them frilly mm. writing but there's lots of you know a page of describing the outside of the house and my editor is always just come that's very sweet darling and then they take it out <laughs> because what I need to learn about myself is that that sort of sparse writing style it doesn't mean I'm you know it doesn't mean you're a bad writer it actually it's it's finding your your comfort zone and that's mine so I think if you wanted to learn clarity, like if you're an aspiring writer or you're writing and you're struggling to like make sure everything makes sense, one thing to do is sort of basically read a newspaper because they're describing really complex things in a really simple way. And um, basically their style and the style that I kind of still use is um, something called inverted pyramid. So 
the most important facts go at the start. And then as you go down through a chapter, and stuff is happening, but you've got to assert at the beginning of the chapter, you've got to make sure everybody understands where you are and when you mm. are and, and finding ways to just, you don't have to just say, you know, Monday, March 5th. You can simply say, you know, by now it was Wednesday and it has started to rain and it didn't feel like June anymore. Then you've just asserted so much in one line. Things like that can really, and that gives the reader signposts and the signposts can help them stay in touch with the story and feel, and if you, if you're in touch with when and where you are when you're reading a book, you don't have to turn back. And if you don't have to turn back, you keep going forward. And if you keep going mm. forward, you might, you're more likely to make it to the end of the book and to feel like you, you absorbed it more. So that's my trick is to make sure the reader always knows when and where we are, which is very anti-literary of me, I'm afraid, <laughs> but it is, um, but also I, as a reader, I like it. Yeah. I, yeah, I get frustrated when I, when I have to go back too many times. It's, um, and it's hard if you're e-reading or if you're with an audiobook, it's yeah. almost impossible. So you have to, as a writer, I think, bear in mind the different ways people read books now. I would imagine only half my readers read them in paper now. And the rest mm. are either on ebooks where flipping back and forth can be a bit tricky or audio is so big. And that's almost, it's a pain to go back in audiobook as a mm. audiobook listener. I know this. So, and to find that little bit, it's, it's irritating. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a big difference actually. I find with e-readers that um, it's much harder to read more literary books on e-readers. I, yes. I really need the paper. Yes, you get lost more yeah. easily. And yeah, with paper, we're so used to being able to flip back and forth. I'm exactly mm. the same. There are certain books I just won't read on an, on an e-reader. Yeah. Mm. yeah, you touched a little bit on your, your research. Obviously, you kind of have, have this uh, fortunate insight into the spy world. Um, was the other research that you did? Well, I researched, there's things that happen in the book, places she goes. So the book, in the chase, basically, she is going from, well, I should sum up the plot so it makes sense. So she, our main character, Emma Makepeace, is assigned to rescue the son of two former Russian spies who are within the protection now of MI5. So they are, they live in Britain, they've lived in Britain for more than 12 years, but they betrayed Russia when they left. And Russia is seeking revenge. Um, and they're, they've been taken into protective custody. Their adult son is declining it. He's a doctor. He considers himself British. He doesn't remember ever living in Russia. He doesn't feel part of that world. So Emma has to convince him. He's a reluctant rescue. She has to convince him he's in danger. There's a Russian assassination squad that will kill him as revenge against his parents. And she has a limited amount of time because they're looking for him. The Russians have hacked the CCTV, the, the whole ring of steel. So the CCTV in London is all hacked. So they can't use public transportation. Cars are extremely well studied. Um, so they need to basically move on foot. And they have to get across London in 12 hours because in daylight, the facial recognition software is much more effective. It's now, it sort of starts at about 11 o'clock at night when she finally gets him to con to go with her. She convinces him that he's got to, to go with, he's got to trust her. So to get across London on foot, there was my research more than anything. How mm. do you do that? Um, what's the best route that avoids CCTV cameras? Where are the black spots? Um, because she would just know this. So I had to find it out. Um, and so she's finding her way, what she decides is parks, canals, um, and underground rivers 
and there are many underground rivers. And she has help from her agency. She's not just doing this on her own. So the department she works for um, sends her like places she can go. Um, hmm. But everybody knows they're being observed. And so everything is cryptic and in code so that they're not giving this information to the Russians who are looking for her. So she has to also decrypt the information she's given and figure out what it means. So, yeah, that was it was basically it. I She goes um, on one of the underground rivers. I don't want to give away too much about it, but like that involved research. And it's a, it's marvelous. I can say that there are. Did urban, you manage to go down? I did not manage no. to go down, but Urban Spielunkers have done it for me, and they've documented their explorations on blogs, which were hugely yeah. helpful, with images and mm. explanations of how they got there, and so I could just sort yeah. of find a way that would be realistic and um, and send her down. Yeah, they vaulted them in, in some places, the Victorians, in these amazing, beautiful, almost rooms underground. It's quite extraordinary. Mm. Uh, yeah, I love... I love the underground rivers. It's um, I love that I do too, and I mm. think any it's a Londoner's thing. I think that it's mm. one of the first things people told me when I moved to London long ago was, "Did you know there's rivers under like on mm. the street I lived on? There was an underground river in Hackney, and you could hear it through the um, through the like the, the guttery things. They could show me where you could hear it, which is different from the um, you know the gutters themselves. It was it's really a thing." Yeah. So did your did the novel defend, develop through a lot of drafts, or do you kind of work quite cleanly? Yeah. With you... um with spy fiction, it's really hard to sort of wing the plot. It's too twisty, turny. Mm. And so this was the first book I ever um, did a, a proper outline for before I sat down to write. So I did a, a good sort of a ten page almost outline of it chapter by chapter, although I did it in groups of sort of two or three chapters. Um, and that meant that writing it, I didn't have to do as many drafts because the outline was so clear that it really did guide me. The only problem is I, I really don't like working from outline because it, it feels, even though I write the outline, I then feel kind mm. of constrained by it if I want to go off in another direction. And so, um, but it, I think it's for me, it's necessary. In fact, I was talking to Mick Heron, who writes The Slow Horses, um, series mm. and he doesn't use an outline at all he doesn't plan and, and that boggles my mind when writing about spies because there's so much happening and so many twists and turns I'd be too afraid of losing a character losing a plot but he just mm. keeps it all in his head but I don't think I, I want to see it on paper and so that meant not too mm. many not too many iterations more or less straight through and your outline stayed the same you yeah. find it changing. The only thing I got wrong was the number of chapters it would take to do certain things. So I would say it'll take five chapters to do X and I might do it in three. Or mm. it'll take two chapters to do Y and it might have taken four. So that's the only bit. But I was close. I was close. I was surprised. Mm. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> and um, do you kind of share your work with anyone before, before it's finished? or? Yes. I usually, my husband always reads. Um, he works in film and television, so he's got a great mind for this sort of thing. And, and he's also, he's sworn to be honest. So mm. <laughs> so he's he's great because he can visually look at it as well and tell me places where perhaps he can't see in his mind what I'm describing. Um, aside from him, I have a friend who always reads for me. Um, 
and I hate to torment her with my first drafts, but she says she likes it. So I, she never reads a good, I always say you never read a good version of my books. You always mm. read the messiest version <laughs> because she never wants to read it, you know, multiple times. Nobody, I'm like, you have to read the finished version when all the typos are fixed. But mm. no, um, other than that, it's just my agent and my editor um, before it goes normally, unless it's, unless I get stuck, which I haven't in a while. So yeah. Yeah, it's difficult to have too many opinions on things, isn't it? You just yeah. don't know where to go. Exactly. Mm. Could you could you just kind of uh, give me a bit of your background as to kind of your, your journey towards um, where you are now in terms of fiction? Yes. Um, Do you mean my your, fiction background or my whole career background? Uh, more your fiction background, really. Yeah. Your, your other books and so on. Yeah. So I wrote under another name. So I first started writing after I left government. And mm. that, and my first series was called Night School, and it was written under the mm. author name C.J. Doherty, mm. and it's a um, young adult series, and it's yeah. I wanted to write about government. Did you did you do any kind of courses or anything before that in writing fiction? I mean, no, not since university, because at university I took a creative writing course, but right. other than that, no. Was I, that in the U.S.? That was in the U.S. Yeah, yeah a long time ago, and so this was sort of. Um, this was a shot in the dark, but I had tried to write. I mean, I had, I had attempted a couple of books in the past and given up after eight chapters. Mm. Eight chapters is my number. If I don't like it, if I don't think it's doing well at Just eight chapters, I stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have two eight chapter books before mm. I sat down to write night school and night school felt different from the start, from the very start. I handled it differently and I couldn't tell you why. But I spent a very long time on character development. Like, that was fun. Like, I enjoyed it. So I was in no hurry. And mm. nobody was expecting a book. So I probably spent a couple months just deciding who my characters would be and their entire backgrounds and sort of really understanding them and seeing these. Because they're 16-year-olds. So I wanted to really, I hadn't been 16 in a while, to really think about what, what it's like, remember what it's like to be a teenager before I started writing. And then once I started writing, I couldn't explain why. But it just wrote itself. Like it really was mm. enjoyable. It wasn't as many books since have been. It wasn't torture. It wasn't. It just flowed, and I could see the story. And I had no outline, no limited plot. Just children of the um, the people who run the country are being used as pawns to get at their parents. Mm. Go. That was sort of the beginning. So and set it at a boarding school so that they're away from their families and cutting them off. Um, and then just playing around with that idea. And it just, I don't know, it just worked. The characters came together, the story, the place, because mm. I had just moved, actually, to Surrey. And I was, there's so many boarding schools around here. And, and I did not come from that background at all. That's very mm. different from my background. And I found it a fantasy setting. So to me, that's as fantasy as vampires and witches, is a boarding school that looks like a castle and, you know, no parents around. So that... Just that took off that series, actually. It sold. I, I got an agent quite quickly for it. Um, I sent it to five agents when I finished it. And I, I worked on it for a year, give or take, I think. Hmm. Getting friends to read it, revising. I have, I have lots of friends who are nonfiction editors. So I did have a lot of people with a good eye to help me. And I was sure it was good before I sent it out. Uh, or not good, but at least finished. As good as I could make it. As good as I hmm. knew how to do. I, have no, I had no confidence, believe me. <laughs> but um, the fifth agent I sent it to signed me and I'm still with her and um, it ended up being a five book series it did really well internationally 
So it it did much better and say it was a it was a top five bestseller in Germany and still is the top five in the top five children's books in Israel ten years later, and I could wow. not tell you why what it is about it that connects with people in one country, but not in another. I couldn't I couldn't conceive it doesn't make sense because um, it didn't it only did okay in the UK and it did less than okay in America, um, but brilliantly in Europe, which allowed me to so keep writing. It was a young adult. Market was a year yeah. well. Yeah. Hmm. So that was my first series. That was five books. After that, I wrote, um, I decided to write a book. I wanted to write a crime novel set in America. Um, well, I still remembered what it was like to live in America hmm. before it kind of went, because it's been a very long time. So I wrote a series called The Echo Killing, um, which is about an American newspaper reporter in the Deep South, where I grew up. And um, that did quite well in America, but did very badly over here. <laughs> it is always mm. something. And so I did three books in that series, and I did love writing it. It was a joy. Um, but I knew, we all knew it was time to do something different, which is when Alias Emma, the series, became The Chase, the book, and off we go. Mm. Do you um, struggle at all with, because there's actually quite a lot of terms I notice, you know, just like cell phone, mobile phone, and so on. Do you kind of struggle with that and um, do you kind of, do you get steers from editors as to kind of, you know, make it more uh, American in terms of the terms you use? I like to think I'm, I'm language ambidextrous. Like, that's what I think. Like, I can write American English, I can put my mind there and I can write British English. But in fact, <laughs> for my American book, when I read it, when it, went to the copy editor and then came to me, the note at the top from my editor was remove British English. Humiliating. <laughs> <laughs> and then on my British book, the copy editor took out three Americanisms from the chase, which outraged me. And I said to my husband, are you telling me British people do not call them eyeglasses? And he said, I've never heard that term in my life. And I'm like, no, I have lived here 23 years. And I did not know you don't use the term eyeglasses here. This is humiliating. So things like that do pop up now and then. Um, but, but it's quite rare now, especially for the British English. It happens much more when I'm trying to write American English. Because it's been a very long time since I lived in America now. Hmm. Whereabouts in America are you from? Texas. Right. Yeah. So what's next? Is Emma part of a series, do you think? She is indeed. Mm. So The Chase is book one in the Alias Emma series. So Alias Emma is going to be the, um, it's what actually what the book is called in America and in like the other countries where it's published. But we felt The Chase had a more of a descriptive feel to it for the UK. And, and I quite like it because it feels as breathless as I'm hoping the plot is. So book mm. two comes out actually in August. Um, we're a little, we're running a little behind in the UK. So it'll be August, September, I think when it comes out and, um, it's going to be called The Traitor and it, uh, takes, it's Emma Makepeace, my main character again. And we will, so, okay. With book one, I followed what's kind of known as the 24 hour format, which is yeah. where the action is compressed into this short period of time. I'm not doing that with book two. With book two, I want to just stretch it out a bit more and make it a bit more traditional spy, a bit more Bondian, a bit more, a bit more Fleming, if you will. So mm. it takes, the action takes place over a few weeks in book two. And, um, it does, I did get to do more spy craft in it. So Emma in book two is, well, book two was, 
was sort of inspired by an actual thing that happened about 10 years ago, which is, and people who read newspapers will remember this, I think, which is an MI6 agent was found dead in his apartment in London inside a suitcase that was locked from the outside. Mm. And the police said it was suicide, as you might recall, if you were around then. And we're all like, how did that work? Exactly. (laughs) And nobody really believed it, but nobody knew what actually happened. And so in this book, I wanted to take a, like one of those fictional things we get to do as writers and, and explore what might have happened, how he might really have ended up in that suitcase. So that's the beginning. And Emma's investigating his murder because they believe he was murdered by another, by, by Russia for some reason, but they don't know why. And you have to know why with these things because the why is everything. So her job is to find out. And as part of that investigation, she'll go undercover on uh, a yacht owned by an oligarch um, and just try to figure out the why. What was, he, what was he doing? Why did he want to? Was the guy a double agent or was he a victim of something? Did he just chance into something that he shouldn't have? So that's what she's looking for. So, yeah. Mm, sounds great. I'm going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved writing it. I read a lot about yachts. <laughs> mm. Right. Well, thanks very much. That's been really interesting. Well, and um, yeah, I look forward to reading your next book. <laughs> thank you very much. It was lovely being here. So this is an excerpt of The Chase by Ava Glass. The street appeared ahead, its lights bright after the darkness of the park, and Emma motioned for Michael to follow as she slanted off the path onto the grass, skirting the main entrance and dashing across the road. They'd just reached the shadows on the other side when she spotted three quick-moving figures heading towards the park entrance. Grabbing Michael's arm, she dragged him out of sight behind a parked van. For once, he had the good sense not to speak, but gave her a silent, quizzical look. She pointed at the group on the other side. The three Russians moved with animal smoothness as they turned into the park. She couldn't make out their faces, but one of them was tall enough to be the man who tried to kill her. Emma was willing to bet the other two were the older man with the uneven nose and the thin blonde woman from the hospital. As they disappeared into the shadows, the short one dropped back and swept the street with a look. Emma held her breath, digging her fingers into Michael's arm, willing him not to move. Finally, the man turned to follow the others. Emma sagged back against the metal of the van, her heart pounding. Either she'd been right about Michael's phone being bugged or they'd been caught on CCTV. It didn't matter which. The speed with which the assassins had arrived told her everything she needed to know. Michael was still staring at where the figures disappeared. You think they're looking for us? Emma, scanning the nearby buildings for CCTV cameras, responded without glancing at him. I think they're looking for you. He flinched, his shoulders hunching as if he'd taken a blow. Cursing her own glibness, Emma slowed. Hey, she said. Despite every fiber in her body telling her to hurry, she waited until he lifted his eyes. I know you're scared, scared, she said. I am too, but I promise I'm going to keep you safe. You ask me to tell you the truth, and I will as much as I can. In return, I need you to trust me. And right now, I'm telling you, we need to run like hell. Thanks very much. Thank you. That was an extract from The Chase written and read by Ava Glass. The interviewer and producer was Martin Nathan. If you've enjoyed listening to Story Radio, don't forget to, you can support our work using Ko-fi. Just visit ko-fi.com slash storyradio to donate. Thank you and goodbye.